right, well, if you are just joining us, we are in a series called Questions Jesus Asked. And Jesus is the master question asker. And he does things to, when he asks his questions, he asks questions in a way to be able to reveal something about God's character, to be able to show something about our character, or maybe to be able to elicit a response from his hearers. And the question that we are addressing today is this expertly crafted question. It is it's an expertly crafted question because what it does is a little different than some of the other questions. This question causes his hearers to pause and to reflect on what he is talking about. He's ref- He's asking people to reflect on the significance of what is happening in that moment and what was going to follow. So the, the question, it, it's causing us as well to focus our attention on what is happening here. And the question he asks is, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, stand up, take your mat, and walk? All right, let's, let's back up a little bit and what's happening here. So we just heard and we got to watch this scene. Jesus is teaching in a home, and he's there. He's surrounded by people who have come from all around, people who have come from villages that were uh, nearby and, either, and others that were maybe even a couple of days' walk away. So he's starting to really gather a crowd here. And so it is gaining momentum. And the man was lowered down before Jesus. And Jesus could have simply healed this man. We agree on that. But he doesn't. Jesus doesn't just say, okay, well, you're well now. Good. That's great. He could have. But he didn't. And I don't know if you have noticed, but this is a pattern in Jesus' life that he usually, anytime he heals people or does some kind of miracle, it is usually accompanied by some teaching or some kind of a spiritual benefit for the people who are there with him. For example, in Luke 6, the the chapter that's just after this one, Jesus' biographer, this guy Luke, who is writing about him, he writes that that Jesus' fame was starting to spread and people were hearing about him. He's doing all these healings. People started to come to him and they even just wanted to come up to him to touch him because they were going to be healed just by by touching him. There's this power that was in him. It says, because power was coming from him and healing them all. And then what does Jesus do? In that moment, that's when he turns to his disciples and he says to them, he says, blessed are the poor for for theirs is the kingdom of God. So in the midst of the growing amount of miracles and healing, Jesus teaches one of his most famous teachings, which is the Beatitudes, when he talks about blessed are the poor and and, uh, he goes into his uh, important teaching. So there's always this healing with his teaching. In Luke 9, the, there are these crowds that are learning about where Jesus is, and they come to him, they follow him, he, and it says in the text, he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. So he speaks to them about the kingdom of God, and he heals them as well. And then Jesus, he actually sends his disciples out to do the same kinds of things. This is Luke 9, 6. So they set out, his disciples set out, and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. So those two are put together. So these miraculous things that Jesus, healings that Jesus performed, in the same way that the questions he asked are, are meant to teach are meant to draw people toward the kingdom of God. 
So when he heals, he's trying to, to teach something about who God is and about who we are and, and to help us to draw near to God. When he asks a question, he's trying to teach us about God, about ourselves, to draw us nearer to God. So Jesus could have just healed this paralyzed man, but instead of just healing him of his physical problems, he pronounces that he has been forgiven of his sins. And I think it's pretty unexpected. The, the people in the crowd didn't expect this. The, the friends who brought this man to Jesus, and certainly the man who was healed, did not expect this. In fact, it was kind of not really what he was coming for, right? He was coming for actual, real healing. He wanted to have Jesus take care of this problem. He wanted to be able to walk again. And after there's, there's this initial wave of shock that comes over people like, that's not what they were asking for. Uh, after that shock passes, uh, they then start to question, hey, wait, is, is it even legitimate for him to forgive somebody something like that? Uh, Luke notes that included in the crowd were these Pharisees. That were those were the guys with kind of the red, the black, uh, that were in the the crowd and the teachers of the law. And and you can think about those guys as people who not only take God's word very seriously, but were also given the authority and the responsibility to kind of make sure that teaching was done correctly, that people weren't led astray. So it's they're kind of doing their job. They're supposed to make sure that people aren't led into error. Uh, but these these guys are. I think that they're not really wrong to wonder if some random person pronounces and says the things that Jesus says. What right does he have to say that this man's sins are forgiven? This past week in our church, if you didn't get an email, there were some emails that came out from a scammer who was trying to pose as me asking for people, and if you replied to that person, they were asked you to, like, bring, like, $500 gift certificates or something like that. I hope you didn't. If you did, I hope nobody gave them money. Um, I'm sorry if you did. Um, but you, if, you if, if somebody had money stolen from them by a scammer or some person on the street, somebody burglarizes your house or something like that, you would not be very happy with me if I said, oh, that's what, said to that person, that scammer, that burglar, you're forgiven. Because the thing happened to you, right? So what right would I have to interject myself in the middle of that? You have something taken from you, and I tell that person, ah, it's okay, it's no big deal, it's fine, you're forgiven. The only person who could rightly forgive is the one who was wronged. And the only person who could rightly forgive sin in this case is God himself. And the, the people in the crowd are worried that there's a, a regular person who's stepping in, treading on things that only God should be able to have the right to say. And uh, as an aside, some of you might be wondering, hey, you know what, I feel like as Christians, don't we, don't we pronounce like forgiveness for people as well? We do that. And that's, it's a little bit different because as Christians, we can tell people because if they, if they declare with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and they confess their sins, we, we have been given Christ's authority by what he has done to tell people that they are forgiven. We're actually passing on the forgiveness that Christ has offered, just as a sideline point. So it's at this point right there, right after he has forgiven this guy, that Jesus asks his question because they're starting to ask, like, hey, wait, is this, is this real? Are you allowed to do this? And that's where he asks this question. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say take up your mat and walk? Well, the easier thing is usually the thing that can't be proven, right? Like I can say, I just made a cat appear at the mall, right? And you can say, yeah, 
how, how is that possible? I don't know if that's there. But so it, it is kind of easier to say, I guess, in a way, that your sins are forgiven because there's not necessarily going to be proof of that. You can't see if it happened or not. But if Jesus says, take up your mat and walk, and it happens, then it's right there in front of everybody's eyes. So th- and that's what he does. He says, get up, take your mat, and walk. And the man that needed to be carried in the man who needed to be lowered down by his friends was able to walk out on his own. So Jesus, he ends up drawing this line. There's a, the, the healing, he, he connects, he draws a line of connection between healing this guy physically and healing him spiritually, that there's this forgiveness that has happened as well. He's saying both of these things have actually happened. And so his logic goes a little bit something like this. If, if God was not pleased, if God doesn't want me to say this thing about somebody being forgiven, then I will not have the power to heal, that, that God will not still be with me. I'm, I'm, do, I'm saying something that's wrong, and so God will kind of withdraw from me, but that's not what happens because God's power was still there, and so the insinuation is that he is able to actually do both hard things. He's able to forgive, and he's able to do the, the he's able to Bring the man to healing so he can walk. In, in your individual study this week or in your small groups, you may have had some discussion, maybe even some lively debate over which one was easier to answer Jesus' question. Uh, I, I think that it seems like Jesus is saying this, it's hard to do something in front of you. However, uh, we, we have to admit it took a miracle for both things, right? It took a miracle for a paralyzed man to start walking. And it took a miracle as well, for the man's sins to be forgiven, it required that God came as a man to die for us and to rise again. It took a miracle, and both were amazing. Forgiving his sin was costly beyond measure. We can, we can admit that. And this man, he needed healing in his limbs, but he also needed this deeper healing, a healing in his soul. We need both. Several years ago, I, was, uh, I, I lived in Europe at the time, and uh, we were in the city of Strasbourg in France, and I went through a training on sharing our faith. You know, we can always get better at that, and uh, in this training, it was put on by Operation Mobilization, a really great organization, uh, and there was a guy who was helping us to understand not only kind of how we can be more winsome in our sharing of our faith, but uh, can we be more clear as well about that? And he gave us a specific challenge. He said, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to have you go out and ask people one question. Now, I, I, I don't know if you like to be approached by strangers on the street, but I do not. Okay? And I don't like to put other people in that situation either. So I, it, made me, it, made, it felt awkward. I was like, I don't want to just go ask random people questions on the street. But here was the question. He's, the, the question we were supposed to ask is, if, if, what is one wish that you would want God to answer? What, if, if, do you have one wish that you would want God to answer? And I, I think the, the wording of it is brilliant. It's not specifically uh, religious in any way. And a lot of us have wishes. It doesn't sound like a prayer request. Uh, and it is very disarming, more than I thought the idea is that we would bring those things before God. So I was sent out. I was sent out to go ask my question, and I was by myself, and I thought, maybe I can just waste time until we're supposed to come back. 
and it, I'll just be fine. And it was cold, and I thought, ah, what, what am I going to do? So I ended up, partly to buy time, I walked into a little shop. And I walked into this little shop, and I thought, okay, maybe I can talk to the shop owner, but I better buy something first. So I, I, I bought a little thing of tea, and I went up and saw the, I bought my tea, and I was talking with the shop owner, an Algerian guy from Muslim background, and I said, hey, uh, I'm going through a training right now, and I'm sp- at Christian training, and I'm supposed to ask people a question. Would that be okay? And he's like, hey, man, ask away. Let's hear it. I said, all right, here goes. Uh, if you could ask God one, if you could have one wish answered by God, what would it be? And I kind of expected the guy to go like, oh, my gosh, here we go, whatever. No. His face went white. He, he looked like an arrow had hit his heart. He just said to me, I wish I could talk to my son again. I, I was dumbfounded. This just got a lot deeper than what I thought it was going to be, right? I said, would you be okay with me asking God along with you right now to ask God that he will answer that wish, that we can pray that God will do that thing? He's like, yes, please. So I prayed for him that, that God will bring some, that he will have this contact with his, his son again, that they will have some reconciliation that's there. And I was able then to explain about how God wanted to reconcile us to himself as well, that we are like children who are separated from our father, and our father longs to have relationship with us, like how he longs to have relationship with his son. And I could pray for him that he would seek that as well. We need healing in our physical world, but we need healing in our spiritual world as well. And, and if he would have just asked me, if he said, you know, I just need 10 more bucks, I would have been happy to give him 10 bucks, 10 euros, right? I, I would have been able to give him whatever he needed. Um, but he wouldn't have thought to ask for those things if I hadn't asked him. And we don't always, we think of some of our physical needs that we want to bring before God. We don't always think of our physical needs. Our, our spiritual needs, and we need both of those things. The man specifically thought of an earthly need, but we definitely have these physical needs as well. And that is what happened with this man as well, the paralyzed man who comes to Jesus. He knows what his physical needs are. But he doesn't necessarily realize what his spiritual needs are. And, and when I, I read through this story, I thought about, uh, I, I kind of want to think about this story from two different perspectives. For, uh, first of all, from the perspective of the man who was healed. So he, he gets lowered down. He comes to Jesus with a specific thing that he wants God to deal with, something that he is hoping that he'll take care of. And maybe that's the same for you from your own personal perspective. You are coming to God today hoping that God will deal with one thing. What's, what is that thing? What is the first thing that you would want God to deal with today? And Jesus forgave this man before he healed his body. It's not the order that he would have wanted it. And maybe sometimes you get answers to prayers not in the order that you want them to come as well. But God deals eventually with the physical part. He does heal his body as well. And, and maybe you have some physical needs that you want God to take care of. You have a problem with your leg or maybe there's cancer. There are things in our lives. But in a similar, similar way, that in our daily world, there are spiritual needs that we have as well. A lot of us walk, our walk with God is having trouble. Or maybe we have some other area of our life in addiction 
uh, of problem like addiction or problems in our marriage or uh, maybe we have financial difficulties, uh, but we also have spiritual needs. We have needs that God on, only God can address to reconnect us with, with our Father in heaven. God needs to deal with both of those things. And for you and I, for this man who meets Jesus, to move forward in wholeness, we need God to deal with both. We need to move forward in physical and in spiritual well-being. But I also think about the friends of this guy. They're like, hey, we went through all this trouble to bring this guy to you, Jesus. This is not what we expected. And, and maybe you feel the same way. There are things that you pray for your friends, and you want God to be able to deal with those things. Uh, there, uh, it's, there are things that you wish for your friends to be able to have or to have removed from their life or to have added into their life, whether it's a physical thing or a spiritual thing. And, and I, I think sometimes it's harder for us to understand, even more than for ourselves, the the when God doesn't necessarily answer our prayers for other people. Because it feels more altruistic, right? We, we, I feel like, God, I'm not asking for a bad thing when I'm asking for somebody else. This is not selfish. And I think that the, the people who brought this man to Jesus must have felt the same way. This isn't selfish. I'm trying to help this other person. So it feels frustrating. It feels frustrating when God doesn't stop that disease or he lets that person die or uh, God doesn't, have somebody's heart change. I think we're called to persevere in prayer. I think we're called to uh, continue to move forward. And, and there is some mystery, and I'm, I'm not going to be able to wrap that one up entirely. I do recommend a book by a guy named Jerry Sitzer called When God Doesn't Answer Your Prayer. Uh, Jerry Sitzer, When God Doesn't Answer Your Prayer. Uh, I think we can understand the no to our prayers when they're our own. Maybe God's growing something in us. But it is difficult when it's somebody else. But we continue to pray. We continue to, to bring before God these people, whatever it may be, their physical or their spiritual needs. In our passage, what's happening here in this forgiveness and healing of this man it wasn't done on accident, and maybe that's part of what can help us as we pray, and if things take longer, we know that God doesn't have accidents. Maybe difficult for us to understand, but it isn't an accident. But what we need to understand is that there is something really profound that's happening in this passage, and that is that this forgiveness and this healing are indications of the new creation that God is bringing about. In, in the new creation that God is doing, there is, there is no frustration, there's no hurt, there's no physical hurt, there's no spiritual separation from God. And that's the, the future reality that we are looking forward to, that God is moving all of history toward this new creation, and that's where history is headed. And what's happening is that, that we're working in a way to look to that reality, or actually maybe... It's better to say that reality is working its way back into the present. That the future reality of the new creation is working its way back to the present. And so our lives and our church, our, our, our life in Christ is supposed to be a, a manifestation of that new life in Christ, that new creation life that's breaking into our world, this kingdom of God that's breaking into our world. And it, it, 
that has implications for the way that we see a lot of things about faith. Uh, why is it that Christians want to grow in holiness, for example? Why would we want to have our lives changed? It's, it's not just because, well, you know, it upsets some older people in our church or something if I do that thing. Or it, some people frown on this thing if I, if I do it. It's because, it's not because we're trying to not hurt somebody's feelings necessarily. But we're saying that those things don't, aren't a part of the new creation, when we look in the new creation, there is not this kind of frustrated relationships or selfishness or uh, rapacious living or taking advantage of other people. Those things aren't a part of that. And so I want that life to work itself back into my present so I become like who I will be. That's why we're becoming holy now. It's not, it's not just... For somebody else, it's, it's allowing the, the wholeness and dignity of the life ahead of us to transform who we are now. That's why we grow. We, we want the things on earth to match the pattern of the life of heaven. So we want that kind of vibrant, abundant, full life of the new creation to work itself, into, work itself back into our present. And, and it's why... Christians throughout history have done things like caring for the sick by building hospitals or uh, getting rid of slavery, of adopting orphans, of caring for the marginalized, uh, especially people experiencing homelessness, things like that. And we also care for the spiritually destitute as well. We care for people who, uh, we give people scripture we, we urge them to, have, to repair their relationship with God. We want people to live in a reconciled relationship with God and for that to end up overflowing into their other relationships and to change their life. Uh, in the past century or so, I think, uh, there has been a division that was made between kind of more uh, liberal theology and evangelical theology. It became a big fight uh, over time. And uh, liberal theology, one of the things that was shown about it was that over time they demonstrated having a bit a smaller view of Scripture, uh, that the, the authority of Scripture ended up getting questioned. Uh, they had a, a, a limited belief in the movement of the Spirit of God in the lives of people to change us and expectation for God to be working in our world. There was less emphasis on the importance and centrality of Jesus' death and resurrection in our assemblies. And because those things ended up being less and less emphasized, kind of the, less, the things that were left were to do more social action, which is nice, but those were the main things that they were working on. All they could do was to, to care for the poor and those kind of things. And as a reaction, what happened was a lot of evangelicals reacted to that and were afraid of kind of catching the disease that the other guys had. And so they ended up having this allergic reaction, and, and they didn't want to lose their first love of Jesus, but ended up kind of losing some of the other social parts as well. And it was kind of a shame, because that's not what we see in Jesus' ministry. Jesus is both. He preaches the word, and he heals people. He brings the, them together. So we don't want to lose that part. So there's both teaching and service. There's both a need for repentance and healing the sick. And we see those kinds of things coming out in the New Testament church as well. As people figure, they tried to figure out how can we feed and care for widows who are marginalized or people who are um, having difficulty? How can we preach 
but not to have that overrun the need to be able to preach the gospel to people. How do we do that? So I, I wonder for us here at Simi Covenant Church, what does it mean for us to do those things, to, to seek to bring healing to people both in their physical area and in their souls? How can we take a step toward having more holistic ministry to people, a way that transforms people's bodies and their souls. And I think that we are doing a lot of things in that direction. We do try to care for the poor, and there's, there are beautiful things that happen here. Uh, the feeding of the Nueva Esperanza has a thing where they give out food to people on Fridays. We do a collection for people in, in financial need, uh, benevolence once a month. But I, it's, a, it's a huge question that I think we're going to continue to need to work out together. Because I, I will admit, for me, it, the, the spiritual part is a little easier for me to do. I, I'm a pastor, right? Like I, the spiritual part is a little bit easier for me. And I, I know that it's important and I want to serve and love people, but that's not necessarily the thing that comes easiest to me. Maybe the thing that comes easier to you is a spiritual part and you need to grow in, the, in seeing the value of the spiritual part, that both of them cannot be separated. So we have to work together at this. I think we need to all use our gifts so that our church as a whole is doing whole ministry. So when, the, when this man was forgiven and healed, what happened? He praised God, of course. This is amazing. And even the people who were all around praised God. They were so happy when this happened. And, and I think that if we start to care for people in all areas of their life, that it's going to lead to people praising God. The people that we help, the people who see getting helped, I think it's going to be amazing. People will praise God. I have heard, by the way, from the people who go to the food pantry that there are people who come for food and people who definitely come for, for food and prayer, but there are people who literally go through their line just because they want to get prayed for. So there, there are ways to do both. So if we're, if we're doing that, if we're helping people, uh, if we're considering do they have what they need to eat, maybe we're thinking about people who are facing disorders in their life or uh, abuse, broken relationships, I think that, that we can do some amazing things to see God enter into those places and, and help us to deal with those things. And what we want is for people to make God a part of their regular rhythm of life and have it shape how they love and serve God, us and other people. So I, I've been praying about that. I, I've been praying all this last week about how we can do both better, how we can make sure that we don't separate the two. Uh, maybe God has put a big initiative in your mind about something that you want to help lead and spearhead for us to do. That would be amazing. But, but maybe it can start smaller as well. Maybe there's somebody you know who has a prayer request that you can help answer. Uh, maybe you can be the one to speak not only to their physical needs, but also to the deeper spiritual need in their life to help them to not be separated from their heavenly father. You can pray like I did for that Muslim man, that God would answer their prayers and invite them to something deeper as well. To do like Jesus did, to help people to heal their whole selves. In a moment, we're going to go back to singing worship. 
And when we do that, we're going to actually have a couple of spots where you can pray with some people. So uh, the um, Fred and Gina Oliveira are going to be up here, and I'm going to go on this side. And if you would like to come and pray with one of us, either pray for a friend or ask for prayer for yourself, you are welcome to come up. You don't even have to say what it is if you want to just be prayed for. We are happy to do that. We want to pray with you because we, we think that we know as Christians that God is active in our world. God wants to see people's lives transformed and that we are the people who get to be agents here in our community to make that move one little bit. So we are going to continue this journey next week of looking at questions Jesus asked, and I think it's going to show us, continue to show us things that God is shaping in us. What is the one wish that you wish God would answer for you? Let's pray. Lord, may our world be transformed by your goodness. We even had a chance this, the, earlier to bring before you our friends and family, our community, just like how the, the, these other people brought their friends who needed healing. So we bring before you our community and our family and friends, and we bring before you our own selves. God, we want whole healing to happen in our lives in a way that brings glory to God and not to any people because it reflects your kingdom. And it tells people that they need to be saved by Jesus' blood only. You are the one true servant. And we pray that we will, our lives will be shaped by you in the words that we say and the actions that we do. May it be so in Christ's name. Amen.